0: Good morning. I'll be reading this morning from Luke chapter 8, verse 40, beginning in verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter who was about 12 years of age, and she was dying. I wasn't going to cry this time. <laughs> As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat, and her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened.
1: Lord, we thank you word. We thank you that you're a light. We thank you for what you have in store. Thank you poured out to us. Use your word in each and every one of our lives, in each and every one of our hearts, let nothing hinder what you have, have in store. store. And we thank you for that, you in that in Jesus' name.
2: Amen. 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 I don't know, uh, we're having
1: microphone problems. So Is that going to work, or do you want me to, to- Today, we are back in Luke's Gospel. I I stopped back in, I believe, July, as we go through the Word of God and begin to look at that, and and again, part of that came from the reality of what we were talking about in Luke chapter 8, and some of the things I'll touch on in a a little recap, but We need to move on and see what God's doing because God in this story is amazing. It's the way in which he brings transformation to lives. God brings this transformation and works in such an amazing way in the life of this woman, in the life of this little girl, in the life of those that were around them. It's an amazing reality of how Jesus totally loves and serves people. Just incredible what he does. And so we're going to start. And part of the... Uh, the a fact in all of this is that that jesus cleanses our jesus he cleanses us and he is the one that's able and uh i want to just start with that because i'm going to come back to that at the end here in uh luke chapter 8 and verse 40 as kate just read it, it says this now when jesus returned so we have to stop and where did jesus return from and it's been a while since we talked about this, but Jesus has just had this whirlwind of a life. I mean, absolutely. I don't know whether you can say Jesus had a busy day, Jesus had a busy week, Jesus had a busy month, Jesus had a busy year. Uh, you know what, Jesus was just inundated with all of these things and these crowds have been growing and coming around and all these people are coming and needing and wanting and Jesus is healing and he's casting out demons and he's meeting the needs in people's lives. He's performing miracles. Jesus is forgiving sin. All these things that had never happened like this before. Well, Jesus, he needs a break. And so Jesus gets into this boat. He's exhausted. The, The disciples start rowing across the Sea of Galilee. And as they're out there on the sea, this gigantic storm comes up and starts to Threaten the lives of all of those that are on there. And even though everybody feels like our life is in danger, we're threatened, we're going to die, Jesus is sleeping in the front of the boat. And again, tells us how exhausted he is. But I also know that it means what peace he had in the midst of the storm. We're going to die here. And the disciples didn't have that peace. And so they wake him up and they're, Jesus, we're going to die here. What do we do? And Jesus, he calms the storm. Our Jesus speaks to his creation, and the creation obeys him. It's amazing. There's nothing that's impossible for him. And so the, the disciples, they, they keep on rowing. I, can, I, you know, I, I think that if I was one of those disciples, and all of a sudden the seas stopped roaring, and the wind stopped blowing, and it's like we're in a boat with this guy who is greater than Mother Nature. What do we do with this? And they're rowing, and they're rowing, and they're, they're okay, wherever you want us to go, we'll go. And, and they land at shore, and, and they get there, and all of a sudden, they get up there at shore, they get out of the boat, and the first thing that happens is they get off, and here comes like this like, crazy, demoniac, naked guy. And and he comes running up and, and I, I can only imagine. I don't know if like if all the shackles were gone or or if there was like some shackles with broken chains hanging off of them. This guy's dragging chains behind, but all this, it's broken. He this is the welcoming committee. Shackles are broken, and this guy, this is who comes running up to Jesus. This is the welcoming committee. That that does not sound like a good first day of vacation. But this is where he is and Jesus in that moment casts the demon out of this man and he begins to minister to all of those who came to see. He begins to preach to those who would come around and then Jesus gets back into the boat and the disciples begin to row back to the other side and they come back to um, where, where they had come from and Jesus gets out of the boat and now there's this entirely new crowd of people there. All these people with all these needs are just there waiting for Jesus. And I find this absolutely unbelievable. As I read through the word of God, it's unbelievable to me how Jesus is capable of just a continual outpouring of love and affection for those he serves. Just always there. Because... I, As a minister, you know, there's seasons of ministry that we go through and seasons of ministry that happen in our lives. And sometimes in the midst of the ministry, uh, it seems like a hard day can turn into a hard week. A hard week can turn into a hard month and pretty soon it feels like you're living a hard year. And in those times you start to go, am am I, is this right? Am I doing, do I want to still do this? Now Jesus is in the midst of this this season where where all these needs are there, and I've been in those seasons where it, it's like everywhere you turn there's needs, people are hurting, people have needs. Everywhere you turn you can see needs that are there. Everywhere you go, everyone you talk to, it seems like there's more needs that are there, and and it. It's not overwhelming in the fact that it's all of these needs. It's overwhelming in the fact that what's needed is more love. What's needed is more peace. What's needed is more attention. What's needed is more affection. What's needed is more teaching. What's needed is more prayer. What's needed is more money, more help. It reveals that greater need. And and church... This is what Jesus was going through. I just I see this parade of experiences and parade of people and parade of needs that just continually flowing across his path. And and so here's Jesus. Now he returned. Jesus returned, and, and the crowd welcomed him. So he gets back, you know, out of the crowd that's there. And he gets out of the boat, and, and all these people have, you know, I don't know if they took a day off. I don't know if they kept the kids out of school. I just, there was this crowd of people that were there waiting on the shore for Jesus. And I don't know how long they'd been there, how long they'd been watching the Sea of Galilee to see if they could pick out, you know, which which boat's them. And it's sooner or later, they got closer and closer, and Jesus was, was spotted, and the people were like, there he is. They're coming. Here comes the disciples. Here comes Jesus. Everybody get in line. Everybody get their needs ready. The picture that I got when I was looking at that was like, it's like the DMV where you pull a number, you know, and everybody's got a number that they're going to wait for. And so there's all these people, they're standing around and they're waiting and everyone's waiting for him. In verse 41, it says, And there came a a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. Now again, I want to explain, he was the ruler of the synagogue. So that means that Jairus was a well-respected spiritual leader in the community. And the synagogue, in that day, the synagogue basically is like what we have as a church today. The synagogue was where the people of God came to hear the word of God and to worship the God of the word. And the people came together, and that's what happened in the synagogue. Jairus was one of the rulers of the synagogue. And so Jairus was kind of, in a a way, like the pastor. He was in charge of helping to care for the people of the church. And so Jairus comes, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. Again, not, not something that grown men do. Even today. You know, how many of us are, you know, as men, how many of us just, oh yeah, just throw yourself down at somebody's feet? It's, we don't do that. And especially in that day. In that day, it was undignified for a man to even run, let alone to throw yourself down at the feet of another man, and especially if you're a spiritual or a religious leader. But this man, this guy is humble. This guy is desperate. This guy needs a move. He needs Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and he's begging Jesus to leave the crowd and to come to his house. Why? Well, in verse 42, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. You know, this whole story is one of my favorite stories. I, I absolutely love this story. And this story becomes personal. And you can tell as Kate was reading the story that it becomes personal to us as we look at the situations and circumstances of our life and how this can relate to so many of us. And, and this whole thing becomes personal. This guy, he's basically a pastor, just, you know, like I am. I, he had people that he had to care for, like I do. This guy had a daughter, like I do. His daughter was 12 years old. Like mine was yesterday. <laughs> Honestly, it seems like yesterday that Lauren was 12 years old. And today I look at Samuel, and Samuel, is our, her, her son, my grandson, is, is about that age. He's going to be 12 this year. He has an only, he, this man, Jairus, is his only child. When Lauren was 12 years old, she was our only child. We did not have Joshua, and we did not have Carly at that point. And in J.RS.'s life, I don't know what was going on in their family, whether they had miscarriages or what the situation was in their life, why they didn't have more kids. I can only assume that they wanted to have more children because in that day it was you know, large families. Everybody had you know, large families. And I don't know why they didn't, but I do know this. That God graced them with one child, and it was a girl. And this man loves his daughter like I love mine. How do we know? Because he's done everything he can to help her be healed. He's done everything. He's a dad that's at a point where he's done everything, and she's still, she's dying. And he leaves her on the deathbed, and leaves her with her mom, probably with her mom. And he leaves to go because he's heard that Jesus is in town. He heard, he heard about Jesus. He heard that Jesus can, and, and he, he runs, which he shouldn't, again, in a dignified way. That's not what they did. So he runs to Jesus, throws himself down at Jesus' feet. And he's desperately begging Jesus to come home with him so that Jesus could heal his daughter. This is a man who will do anything and everything to see his little girl healed. Let me ask you, how many of you men in this place today, how many of you are fathers of daughters? Man, praise God. I'm gonna say this absolutely unapologetically. Daughters are a gift from the Lord. Daughters are a gift from God. And it is, personally, it is a tremendous honor and a tremendous gift to be the father of a young woman. I don't, maybe you haven't experienced it yet, or maybe you haven't had a a little girl, but I can tell you it's amazing, and it is wonderful. And you can, let me encourage you with this, you can, church, you can, you can, by the grace of God, by faith, you can have a daughter that makes a wonderful transition from girl to being a woman. You can do that, and you can be there. Dads, you can be there to love your little girl. You can be there to care for your little girl. You can be there to encourage your little girl, and you can be there to bless her, and you can be there to support her, and you can be there to adore her, and you can be there to hug her, to hold her, to protect her. You can be there to be close to her. You can. And, and I say that because I believe Jay Iris was that kind of dad and he had that kind of relationship with this little girl. Johnny and I were talking about this and I remember back I I still remember the day that Lauren was born. We did not know if we were having a boy or a girl. We didn't know we had her her nursery was seafoam green and yellow. We didn't know And uh, Joni went in. She had to have a cesarean section, and 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 when the baby, when Lauren was born, they brought me into the room, and for the first time, I got to see whether it was a boy or a girl. I I got to see my beautiful little girl, and my first thought was, "Oh God, help me," (laughs) because it's a girl, and I know nothing about girls. Help me, Lord. And I remember that being the cry of my heart was like, I got a lot to learn here. And as I was leaving to go out and to tell the rest of the the people that were in the waiting room, what what would I, happened? I never will forget stopping and praying and just asking God, Lord, thank you for a little girl. Thank you, Lord God, that you have given me a daughter and I pray that you would help me to love her, help me to adore her, help me to raise her up and help me, Lord God, to care for her and protect her. And Lord God, I also ask that my little girl, that she would grow to know you, that she would have a heart for you and that she would know your love all the days of her life. And God honored that prayer. But I, will, I never forget, and I do have a point for all this, so I'd never forget. I'm not just gonna break out the old movies. <laughs> I'll I, I never forget when we brought her home and just holding this beautiful little life. And I couldn't help it, and I'm sure you can't, couldn't either. Mom's dad, all of you. Looking at this little life, And all of a sudden starting to dream of all the things that were to come. I I remember all the dreams that, I mean, I could not wait for the dance recitals that I was going to be able to go to. I could not wait. For me, I was like one of the, I could not wait to dress her up in a beautiful little Easter dress in her bonnet and hold her hand as I walked her into church. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait for the daddy-daughter dates that we would go on. I looked ahead and I couldn't wait for the day that I would walk her down the aisle. I couldn't wait as I thought about what it would be like one day when I watched my little girl raise my grandchildren. And everything was a hope and a dream. Everything was an open possibility. And now as I'm on this side of it, I look back and I I look back at all of the things that I have to be able to cherish as I look back at at the, the snuggle times that we used to have in the morning when just the two of us were up. the Sitting in the big recliner, holding her and reading my Bible to her and then watching cartoons. I still look back and remember the concerts that we went to, all of the Christian concerts. We went to every Christian concert we could find. I'll never forget the youth trips and the missions trips and the vacations. I'll never forget, I don't know why, but for both of my girls, I will never forget as I look back our trip to (laughs) Build-A-Bear. It's just, it was a special date with both of them. I still remember the bears they got. I still have this opportunity. I get to look back at the, at the daddy-daughter date when I gave both of them a promise ring. I get to look back as my daughter, I was privileged to walk her down the aisle. I, I say that because it's been a gift being the daddy of a girl. And I'm not, listen, I don't, we we live in this day and age where I know for many people their mind goes to, well, what about boys? Lord help you. Can't I I talk about the joy of having a daughter without you going to the place? Well, what about a boy? Amen, that's right. Daughters are a gift from the Lord. And a daughter is a gift that's intended to be encouraged. A daughter is a gift that needs to be cultivated. It needs to be protected. It needs to be adored. It needs to be cherished. It needs to be nurtured and protected and cared for. And that's why as a church, I will unapologetically say this. It's important to me that in our church we have strong, godly men who will rise up and who will love their daughters, who will care for their daughters, who will cherish and who will cuddle their daughters and hold their little girls and protect their little girls. We need strong, godly men who will lead their little girls and pray for their daughters. Amen. Amen. Off my rant. So back into the story. The, the demands of ministry. You know, J. Iris is a pastor. He's, he's got this daughter. She's 12 years old, and, and his daughter is sick. Only child. She's on her deathbed. And I, and I do want you, moms and dads, I do want you to go there emotionally. It's a terrible thought. But we need to be able to relate. This daughter, she's lying there, and she's dying. But as I just shared with you, all those dreams... He had all those dreams, and all of his dreams were lying on that bed. All of it. And it was all laying there in jeopardy. And so he, in this moment, runs to Jesus. He throws himself down at Jesus' feet and he begins to beg Jesus Jesus, I know there's a lot of people here. I know that there's a lot of needs that are here. I know that there's people who want to meet with you. But, Jesus, would you please come to my house? Would you please come with me, Jesus? My daughter is dying. And it says at the end of verse 42, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. The people were were just, I mean, all closing in on him. There was this closing in, this pressure that was happening, and everyone was in need. Everybody had needs. Everyone had a request. Everyone needed something from him. And church, that is the way that ministry is oftentimes. Again, I am not saying this apologetically, nor am I complaining. It's just the nature of ministry. And it is what God has called me to. It is what I have signed up for. It is what I am privileged and honored to do. But the reality is that ministry is a constant place of disruption and interruption. It is. And again, not complaining about that. That's just reality. Now Jairus, he loves, Jesus loves Jairus's daughter. He loves Jairus. But Jesus also loves all these people that were waiting on the shore for him and all of these people that were coming and surrounding him with all of these different needs. So Jairus is at there, his feet, he's saying, please come to my house, my daughter needs you, she's dying. But this lady over here, she's there because she's struggling with cancer and she needs Jesus to move and hit her life. And this guy over here, he's got some heart disease, and he's struggling, and he doesn't, he doesn't know what he's going to do. And this one over here, she just went through a divorce, and her heart is broken, and she doesn't know how to find healing. And this one over here is depressed because things aren't going the way they thought. There's no food, there's no money, and they don't know what to do. And this one over here is just filled with anxiety and depression. And this group over here, they're just critics and they're just looking for something to be able to criticize Jesus for. And then you got the group over here with their cell phones out. Jesus, we just want a selfie with you. We want a Facebook photo. Church, there's all these different people in the crowd and there always is. There always is. These are the things that happen. And church, this is one of the And I'm just gonna be honest with you here for a moment. This is one of the difficulties of ministry is the discernment. The discernment that says, okay, you know what? As much as I want to, I can't serve everyone. I can't be there in every situation, even as much as I want to. So I have to make some hard decisions about how can I best utilize my time? How can I best be the best that I can be? how do I ignore the critics? How how do I discern from those who have real needs and those who just want to be friends? And again, not that that's bad or wrong. It's just that there's real needs in real people's lives and those real needs require time. They do for you too. This is not just for me. This is for all of us. And how do we discern between the people with real needs, the people who just want to criticize, and the people who just want to hang out? Because the truth is, is you love them all. You you love them all. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not putting one down for, uh, listen, I'm not. But how do we discern how is the best, most strategic way we can use our time? Look, when people are in crisis, time is of the essence. Jesus at this point, Jesus is God become a man. So Jesus is living in his flesh. He's living in the confines of this flesh, which means that Jesus has 24 hours in his day. Just like all of us do. He's taken upon himself humanity and he can only be one place at a time. And all of these needs are just collapsing in on him. All these needs are just coming and and crushing around him. And Jesus has all these needs. He's in the middle of this crowd of all these people with all these needs. And Jairus is saying, will you please leave all of this and come where my little girl is? Will you leave all this, Jesus? And I think Jesus at that moment has this decision, this choice to make. Who Who will I serve in this moment? And, church, I, I want to, church, let me ask you to do this, please. Pray for your church leaders. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your life group leaders. Please. Nobody's in this because they, they don't love people. We're in the, it's because we love people. But pray. Because I know there are many who feel like maybe we didn't get back to you as soon as you thought we should. Maybe we didn't treat you in a moment like you thought you should have been treated, or maybe we didn't tend to you the way you thought you should be tended to. Please hear me. Please accept my sincere apology. And don't grow weary with letting us know how we can love better. But church, let me also say this. Please understand that sometimes when your situation comes in, there's already five crises ahead of that. There's already all sorts of things that are going on that as human beings, there's only certain time that can be given to anything. And sometimes, you know, when, when things happen, as human beings, sometimes when things happen, we are overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. Sometimes when your crisis happens, We're in the middle of our own family crisis. And again, please, hear my heart. I'm not trying to say don't call or don't reach out or don't. I want that. I'm just asking for, as the family of God, understanding to know that we love you and we want to help you and we want to be there for you and we want to but sometimes we just in our natural selves fall short jesus is in this moment surrounded with all these needs all this stuff so what's he going to do it says in verse 43 it says and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years I looked up what that might be, and most believe it was a uterine hemorrhage that she had suffered with for 12 years. Realize that as long as Jairus's daughter had been alive, this woman had been bleeding. 12 years she'd been going through that. that. And again, it says, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anybody. That is, again, Dr. Luke, who wrote this investigative report. You don't think that he would have looked into this and really studied this out? This is a medical issue. I'm sure he looked into this, and this is his diagnosis. She couldn't be healed by anybody. So this woman here is desperate, she is destitute, and she is lonely. This woman is desperate because she has tried every form of treatment. She has gone to every so-called specialist. She's tried every kind of alternative healing method she could find. She has prayed, she has fasted, i mean she i'm sure she wanted to go to the healing groups that were out there every possibly she could find to do everything that medicine could do everything that she thought that the church might possibly be willing to do for her she had done it all and now she is without anything else she is desperate but not just desperate she's destitute i mean she has spent everything everything she's flat broke Isn't that what happens oftentimes when people are suffering? Church, people, when they have physical infirmities, even today, and there are some of you that are in this condition. Some of you know people, love people that are in this place, a condition, a circumstance in their life, and they have had to spend their life savings. They've had to sell the house, had to get rid of possessions, done garage sales, Totally raided their retirement account. Maxed out credit cards. All the friends, family, all the, the co-workers that could have all done the GoFundMe, and you know, there's just nothing left. They've done everything, and now they've spent everything. Put everything they could to it. Nothing changed. And people that are without any hope, people without any help. People that are desperate and destitute. Well, I want you to see this woman is in this kind of horrible condition. This is where she's at. And here she is, she's before Jesus. And so whom will Jesus serve? What's Jesus gonna do? Is he gonna serve this, this woman or is he gonna, which has a very real need? Or is she gonna serve the, the daughter of Jairus who also has a very real need? What is she going to do? And again, this is the constant weight. This is the constant burden for anybody that is shepherding God's people, trying to help, to love, and care for God's people. This is always this constant weight trying to figure this out. And and Luke says that this woman has had this issue for 12 years. 12 years, church. Which again means this: according to Jewish law, Leviticus chapter fifteen, she was ceremonially, she was ritually, she was according to the old covenant, she was unclean. Now, let me just real simply break it down. What does that mean? What does it mean to be unclean? What it means is that nobody has touched her in twelve years. It means that she has had no one has hugged her. No. Nobody has cuddled her. Nobody has even held her hand. Nobody has had physical contact with her for 12 years. She's completely and totally isolated and lonely. She's not allowed by the Jewish law. She's not allowed to be in a crowd. She's not allowed to go to the temple. She's not allowed to go to synagogue. She's not allowed to be around people. She's not even allowed to go to worship. You know, there's one thing worse than suffering and that is suffering in isolation. Suffering in loneliness, when there's no one to be there, no one to talk to, nobody to share what's going on in your heart. This woman is living like this. She eats all of her meals alone. She She worships God alone. This woman, she lives by herself. And in addition, in Leviticus... It says that this woman would have been forbidden, because of the condition that she had, she would have been forbidden to have any marital intimacy. So that means that either she's young enough to where she's never been married, or she's been married and divorced. She has no husband, she has no children, she has no money, she has no church. She has no hope. And then she hears that Jesus is coming to town. And she reaches out to Jesus. It says in verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately she was discharged of blood, uh, uh, her discharge of blood ceased. Again, according to Dr. Luke, she was healed. Come on, amen? Amen. But think about this. She was not supposed to be near that crowd. She was not supposed to be in the middle of all of this. Religion said, you can't go there. You can't do that. You're not allowed. This woman was unclean. And what that meant was when she got close to a crowd, she had to call out, unclean! unclean so that everybody that was ritually clean could move away from her she could walk through the crowd and everybody would be at a distance so nobody accidentally touched her or bumped into her because she the unclean would make them unclean if they were touched her so she had to call out unclean unclean and now she's pressing in through the crowd this crowd, this, this all-around Jesus, this crowd that, that, that's, I mean, the disciples, Jesus, when power came out, when she was healed, the power came out, and Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? Everyone's touching you. Somehow this woman, she presses through the crowd, and she gets to Jesus, and she's obviously worshiping him as she's bowed down because when she reaches out to touch jesus she's right at the hem of his garment let me tell you this is an absolute act of faith church this is faith sometimes faith is what produces the miracles but sometimes and very often church faith is what gets us to the place that we need to be for miracles to happen god will use our faith to get us where we need to be and for many, this concept of faith, this place where we, you know, we, we're, 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 we're born again by faith, we're saved by faith, we live by faith, God keeps us by faith. All of that can sometimes be a bit of a, a vague concept that we don't quite understand. And just right here, I just want you to see that faith, faith can often mean just getting to the place where you can reach out and touch Jesus. Faith is letting God lead you. Faith is letting God draw you. And this woman, she gets to Jesus. Jesus is the healer, but her faith gets her to where the healer is. Her faith gets her to Jesus. And this woman has great faith in her heart. Look, there is a faith for us believers that comes line upon line, precept upon precept. But there's also by the gift of the Spirit, there is the gift of faith that God pours into our lives at certain times and he gives us this direction, this faith to go past what religion says, past what would be considered to be appropriate behavior and pushes us to this place. We've drawn to this place where we can get to the feet of Jesus and reach out and touch the hem of his garment to reach out and to touch jesus and this woman has this gift of faith and she reaches out trusting and believing and knowing if i can just touch the tassel on his robe i will be healed and she trusts it and she believes that and she's there this is great faith great faith and in that instance her soul, I mean, she is, she is healed in her soul. She is healed in her body. She becomes an absolute, true worshiper of Jesus. And the power of God is unleashed in her life. All through faith. Church, that is how God will work in our lives, through faith. Through the power of God being unleashed in our life through faith, through trusting, through believing in Jesus. And again, this is amazing. Now, I don't know, as everyone was pressing in on him, I don't know why everyone in that crowd that day wasn't healed. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, what, I don't know what happened. And, and to be quite honest, uh, I can't believe for a moment that Dr. Luke wouldn't have mentioned this, but he doesn't. And he doesn't mention anything trying to explain it all. And I'm not going to either. Look, the bottom line is this. By faith, she approached Jesus and the power of God was unleashed in her life, period. Worship team, come on back up, please. And let me say this, because I think this is one of the most beautiful parts of this story, and we will go further into it all next week. This woman did not allow religion to stop her from approaching the relationship that God wants to have with her. So this woman reached out contrary to what religion said, and this woman, she went through all of the difficulties and all the stuff, all of the hindrances and all the things that want to stop her from getting to Jesus, and she pushes through all of those things, and she gets to Jesus, and she reaches out and touches Jesus. She should not have done that because according to religious law, according to uh, uh, the Old Testament, when she reached out and her condition and touched Jesus, she shouldn't do that because she would make Jesus unclean yet she continued to press in and she reached out and she touches Jesus and I want you to see this when she touches Jesus she does not make Jesus unclean Jesus makes her clean Jesus makes her clean she wasn't supposed to touch anybody because when the unclean touched the clean the clean became unclean until they became ritually clean again it was this whole ugly process, but Jesus, Jesus is pure. Jesus is holy. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is good. Jesus is God. And so when this woman, she reaches out, and she doesn't know what's going to happen. She only knows what she's been taught. But she stops because the Spirit of God in faith was calling her to this place where she reached out, and she touched the hem of, her gar- of His garment, and she found that she didn't make Jesus unclean. I didn't make Jesus unclean. I didn't do, it didn't He didn't become unclean. Jesus made me clean. Uh, You need to know this today. And I want you please in your heart to receive this. By faith to believe this. That whoever you are. And whatever you have done. And whatever sin you may have been part of. and, And however dirty you may feel. And however deviant your behaviors may have been and however disgusting your life might have been to this point, no matter how defiled, no matter how dirty, no matter what your life has been to this point, you can right now reach out to Jesus in faith and you will not make Jesus unclean. Jesus today will make you clean. You don't clean up to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus so He can clean you up. And only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus has the ability to do that, church. We approach, we as unrighteous approach the righteous, and the unrighteous reaches out to the righteous one and the unrighteous righteous. One unrighteous, the righteous one makes the unrighteous righteous. I sure hope that came out the way it was supposed to. <laughs> we do church the power of God is unleashed in your life to bring you new life to bring you newness of life this woman is a picture of salvation She is a picture of what God in faith will do. She is a picture of us as we reach out and we're saved by faith, reaching out to Jesus, reaching out to Him to receive new life in every area of our life. How many of you need that today? You need Him. You need to reach out. You need that. And faith is calling you. God is leading you. church, I'm just going to say, look, there's all sorts of religious things today that want to stop you from coming to the feet of Jesus. There's pride. What what are are people going to think? I I say this all the time. You know what people are going to think? They're going to think, I wish I had the kind of courage they have. But the spirit of pride The spirit of fear, the spirit of self-image, whatever wants to stop you. Just like with this woman, there was a lot of things wanting to stop her from the feet of Jesus. But she didn't let any of them stop her from what God wanted to do to bring healing and to clean and cleanse her. And our Jesus is the same today. If you need that today, I'm just going to ask that you would just come and find a find a place, let the altar be that feet of Jesus moment for you. And let some of your family and friends just come pray with you. Look, that's up to you. But as we pray, if you need that today, would you just get up out of your seat? Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your grace. It's a grace that today is a brand new day of grace for us, of mercy released, of power available of deliverance that's there, of healing, Lord, that's needed and necessary. Lord, we are desperate for you. Lord, we are destitute in where we are. And Lord, we are alone. We are weary. I, We don't know where to turn. Jesus, we need you. We need you as a people. We need you as individuals. We need you today, Lord God. I pray that you would pour out, pour out, Lord, the gift of faith in the lives of those, Lord, who could believe, to press through the crowd, to move through, Lord God, and find the cleansing virtue of Jesus in our life. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Come on, as we sing, if you need the altar, please don't hesitate. Step out and let God minister to you.